Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I with me today, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself, Timothy. Hello. We're a book club for games. And today we are. Today we're going to do our second part of Metroid Dread. So first off, some errata slash corrections from part one. I totally forgot New Super Mario Brothers existed, so there totally is wall jumping in the 2D Mario games. I think I was editing the previous app, and I got to the bit where I said, there's no wall jumping in the Mario games, and I was like, oh, there is wall jumping. What? I, I, what I interpreted that as was, in your mind, the new ones don't exist to you. They're dead to you. Yeah, I, I think at the time, I, I just completely forgot that there were 2D Mario games on, you know, the DS and the... Insignificant. Insignificant, right? That's right. That's right. Super Mario World is the last 2D Mario game. (laughs) And then also, apparently the in-game timer in Metroid Dread is the exact opposite of what I thought. So time on the map screen doesn't count. Time when you die and then reload from checkpoint doesn't count and then also cutscenes whether you watch the cutscene or you skip the cutscene it still adds the same amount of time to the in-game timer so if there's like a three minute cutscene and you skip it the in-game timer just adds three minutes for example so it's the exact opposite of what i thought i mean i don't really quite comprehend what happened then to my playtime because you know the reason i thought it worked the way it did was because i had a final save which was at six hours 27 And then my final in-game time was 7 hours 21. So I interpreted that to be that all of my attempts on the final boss, which involved many, many, many restarts from Checkpoint, had counted towards that time. But, you know, I reloaded that save game and I just did the final boss first time. And then my final time was 6 hours 39. So goodness knows what happened that first time round when the time was 7.21. Anyway. Whatever. The only thing I can think of is you really got stuck in phase one where you're just going through this endless cycle of... <laughs> I just spent like 40 minutes no- <laughs> on phase one doing nothing. I mean, it seems very unlikely, but it's imagine. Pos- it's possible, though. <laughs> There's no way that's possible. Because phase one, you don't even need to think. Once you've mastered it, you just have to do the damage. But maybe you're just really bad at doing damage or getting the counter. I don't know. Imagine imagine if it's something like just that last checkpoint, it does count up all the time or something. Maybe it's something weird like that. I don't know. Anyway, irrelevant. Still a good time. I think that's almost half the time I took. Okay, so you finished the game now. Yeah, I finished it after some help, but we can talk about that later. All right. And one last thing. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. So this is the spoiler filled app. We're going to talk about all the late game power-ups, bosses, story, etc. So, if you haven't played the game, play it, unless you don't care about spoilers, in which case, carry on listening. Something I wanted to say before we moved into our first section, is I really noticed the Joy-Con drift. It's really a thing, and it's slightly annoying. You can get this fixed, though, can't you? In the UK, this is like an acknowledged problem, can't you? With my Hong Kong Switch. Oh, yeah. Will they know? I don't know. I think, to be honest, I think you can just send it in for repairs anyway. They might charge you like a bit. 
Or just buy some new Joy-Cons. The new ones are good. No, but you know, you'll just have another year or two before they start drifting. <laughs> okay, good. It's all right. I know what to get you for your birthday now. <laughs> Thanks. Bosses, bosses, bosses. There are a lot of bosses in this game. I've, I feel like every five minutes you were just like, oh, it's another boss. Or There's certainly a point in the game where you just feel like you're fighting bosses like continuously. Bosses or mini bosses. And yeah, you know, at first I was like, is this still a Metroid game? It feels like Castlevania. There's like 20 bosses or something. You know, it's like more Vania than Metroid. Also... Depending on, well, I don't know. Like some of the bosses, I feel like you just somehow muddle through first time, and other bosses are like a real roadblock. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's really brutal. Like, you know, you'll take multiple E tanks worth of damage just from a single hit, it seems. And you just need to really learn to recognize all of the patterns you know, that the boss is telegraphing. It's like, you see it do a certain animation. It's like, okay, I know it's going to do this attack and this is how I dodge it. And like the first time you encounter the boss, you just wouldn't know that and you're just going to take it to the face and die. Though, once you do know the patterns, it is really fun. Like, you know, you just go in there and you're like effortlessly dodging and parrying everything. And it, and it looks really cool. Yes, once you've mastered it, it's very cool and it's very satisfying. But the journey there is not, I would say. <laughs> I guess it's not respectful of your time. But it's really trial and error, right? There's no other way to describe it. The process is purely trial and error. Uh, is it trial and error? Like, you know, if you were good, you only need to see it once. Okay, true. You know, you, you see it do something you don't recognize. It does the thing. And you're like, okay, next time I see that, I'm going to do this you know, somersault, flash shift, whatever. Or this is the one I can parry. But the somersault, flash shift may not be the answer. Or the parry may, or the parry is, well, that's okay because you'll get the flash. But the somersault, flash shift may not work. And then you have to go again. I guess. And then if I stop, what I found is when I stopped at a boss fight, I just didn't want to pick up the game again because it was such a slog to get back to it. To context, which oh dear, these are kids these days. Did, no. did you, 
Did you get angry? Do you, you get know, angry? At least, at least this isn't like Dark Souls where you have to do a run to the boss oh. from the last bonfire. Like, at least it restarts you right in front of the boss. I mean, it's true. This is yet another, like, it's just like Dark Souls kind of moment, right? Like, you really need to master the boss. Like, you need to recognize the patterns. You need to dodge. You need to parry. Like, you really need to, yeah, to master it. And at least they do restart you right in front of the boss. Okay. It's just like a separate kind of mini game you could almost view it as, you know. Or it's like a, or it's like a rhythm game. So as part of my learning process, I just went, I just learned to dodge. Because dodging, I'm really, truly bad at. So I would, wouldn't even try to attack the boss. And I would just dodge, dodge, dodge for like two minutes, three minutes, just to prove that I can really dodge these attacks. Yeah, and I think that's what you do. That's like, that's a smart thing to do. If you really want to practice and you really want to make sure that the next time you get here, you're going to just get through it, then particularly for multi-phase bosses, that's a smart way of doing it. And I totally didn't do this for Dark Souls. Maybe that's why I was so bad at Dark Souls and I never got there. Yeah, for Dark, for Dark Souls, you were just like, I do think this is like, a, it's like learned helplessness, right? It's like, what am I even trying to say? It's like, you know, you encounter, you encounter like a wall, you encounter some like... Re- real major challenge to your skills and either you keep banging your head against the wall until you become skillful enough to survive or you just curl up into a ball and it's like it's okay i'm just gonna die now you know and i think during the dark souls playthrough that we did you were of the i'm just gonna curl up and die now and i was of the no i'm just gonna learn to parry this and then i'm gonna hit them in the face it's like when um when people try to run the four minute mile that no one thought was possible and that's me. I just don't think it's possible. And until someone says, you can, like, until you popped in and said, just do it like this, or you tell me, or unfortunately, in some cases, YouTube shows me someone doing it, then I suddenly believe it's possible. That is a very good insight. And I think that's really true. Like, just, just knowing something can be done is a major factor in deciding that, yes, and I can do it too. You know, if you had never seen anyone do it, like, in fact, in a game, you kind of know it's possible with a boss fight. Like, you know the boss fight can be done, at least. You know, we'll, we'll get to it later, but, like, some of the sequence break stuff, you think the boss fights are hard, man. The sequence breaks are on a whole other level. Oh, dear. And then, I, I, you know what? I still dislike ideologically that the bosses require melee counters or parrying sometimes. I think that's kind of cheap or annoying. Like, you know, you should just be able to shoot them. The parry mechanic should be optional, I think, personally. And, and it's not consistent, right? Sometimes the parry will generate a sequence where you can generate more damage. Sometimes you just need the counters to pop it. Yeah. So there are certain bosses. I think it's specifically the Morkin Chozo. So the Chozo Elites or Ravenbeak, where you specifically need to win the fight with a counter or it just goes on forever and i don't really understand why they did that still like you know i played the game through again and i still feel the same way but that suggests your counter ability is not as strong enough it's not strong enough not good enough well i mean it was you know it was easy the second time round because i knew what to do i'm looking for trouble i'm just i'm just picking at you i'm sorry mike I just I just don't get why they did it. It just seems so unnecessary. One more thing I wanted to say is 
I got so angry at this game. I just I had to play it with some like calming music or a podcast, which was ah so annoying. This game. Oh yeah, this is another great insight into the differences between us. So you played without the music and you listened to something else. It just got so annoying. The boss music really triggered. Oh, the me. boss music is so epic. It's so good. It just made me sort of appreciate my own failings in life, failings as a human being. <laughs> Why can't wow. I do this? Why can't I do this? Wow. Okay. I mean, I I, <laughs> I wouldn't think of it like that. Well, I wasn't like a bit of an exaggeration, but it was just so frustrating. It's just so epic. It gets. You, I think it gets you into the right mood. This is like this Titanic struggle. You know, I'm just imagining the Ravenbeak music right now. It's interesting because when you go into battle, you want epic music. I just want, you know, on it to be zen, effortless. You're going to come in with the 10 rings. I'm going to go there just dancing around you. <laughs> That's the plan, at least. Is that a Shang-Chi reference? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I haven't seen it. So oh, really? <laughs> I'll just have to imagine. Anyway, okay. Let's talk about some specific bosses. Please. Or bosses that you struggled with. So, Kraid. How is Kraid still alive? This is the thing that actually puzzles me the most. Because, like, Kraid has been in a lot of the Metroid games. Why is he still here? Or is Kraid not an individual? Maybe Kraid is, like, a species. He's just a Kraid, which is, like, a giant space crocodile. I guess this is more a lore discussion than a mechanics discussion. <laughs> Did you have any trouble with Kraid? He's on where stuff fires out, like ooze fires out from his belly, right? Yeah, yeah missiles that's right. fire from out from his belly. Yeah, of course I did. This is the first one where I had to pay attention and think, oh, it's one of those games, is it? Is it really like Dark Souls? I think for me, aside from the law implications, the other interesting thing about Kraid is that he has a lot of special animations if you sequence break stuff to get to him. So if you get to Kraid with the morph ball bombs, you know, there's a special quick kill animation where you can reveal like a cannon and shoot yourself in morph ball form into his stomach and then put bombs in his stomach to blow him up. Or if you have the flash shift, there's a certain point in the fight where he opens his mouth and you can flash shift into his mouth. And there's a special animation for you just like holding his jaws open and shooting loads of missiles in. Wow, they planned for it. They planned for it. That's one of the things I thought was most interesting. I'm not very good at timing jumps. So the fact that you have to do time jumps in this boss battle means I was already disadvantaged. Yeah, I, I remember dying a few times on the first playthrough on Kraid. Just because, you know, it is kind of overwhelming at first like what do i even do and it's another you know multi-phase boss battle where each phase is slightly different yeah okay and then the next two on my list drogaiga and experiment z57 so drogaiga just annoying like it took me a long time i i died many times on this boss in my first playthrough I think it's just the water physics. Or I just kept misreading certain attacks with the tentacles. And then Experiment Z57, 
yeah, again, just seems like a very unforgiving fight. Like, if you misread an attack, you just take so much damage. Though, you know, very cool once you get it right. It's like, it's a really, it's a really cool looking boss with many very exciting animations. So with Experiment Z57, this is one where they have those beams coming from right to left and you have to jump over them. Yes. At the end, there's a bit where he like turns on some fans and there's, yeah, energy beams going right to left. Yeah, I remember there's just so many dodge patterns you have to learn. And by the time that one came, I thought, ugh, I can't be bothered anymore. I cannot. But it's another one of those where once you've learned it all, it's very cool and very effortless, but that process is not an enjoyable one. And again, this is, an, this is another boss fight with a cool secret mechanic, because when you have to do that dodge section, you can actually activate the speed booster and charge up a shine spark. And, you know, if you hit him with a shine spark, it instantly kills the boss. So, you know, that's your opportunity because the room is usually not big enough to charge up a shine spark, but with the fans on, you can charge up in place. I wonder if Jaffe got to these bosses. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, amusingly as well, both of these bosses I skipped in the speedrun. So it's possible to actually completely skip both of these bosses in the current speedrun route. Next to Golzuna, I just thought this one was cool like i actually thought it was an interesting mechanic because you you go into the boss room and it's just like a regular enemy and you kill it and then it morphs into a stronger form of that enemy and then you kill it and then it morphs into an actual full-on boss i just thought that was cool yeah that was quite cool and then the next one eskew which is the storm missiles boss really 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 easy if you do the sequence break, because it turns out you can be immune to, I think, like all of its attacks just by using the screw attack. So you can just like bobble around in the screw attack form and literally nothing can touch you. And you just screw attack into the boss like four or five times and it dies. I thought what this game did really well was when you did get the storm missiles initially, it just showed how OP they were. Obviously, it gets taken away from you a little bit later on. Wait, what do you mean it gets taken away? Like you don't feel it doesn't feel so OP. Oh, I see what you mean. Especially in the Raven Beak battle. Yeah, there's an interesting dynamic of like feeling powerful and then feeling weak again as things like tear up. And yeah, I mean that's one of the things that actually made this that's one of the things that made the speedrun really fun. Because when you start sequence breaking stuff, you get to feel OP as heck suddenly for quite a long time. Because the screw attack is really good. Yeah, it, it's really OP. And I understand why you get it so late. Yeah, it, it totally trivialises a lot of stuff. Ugh. Chozo soldiers slash robot soldiers. Like, they, they just reuse these mini-bosses, like, too much, almost. Yeah, but to, no, at some point, they no longer feel like a mini-boss anymore because they're, so, they're just so trivial. Yeah, I guess this is like the trope of boss becoming a normal enemy. Like, you know, these are sitting on the borderline of that. I guess the Chozo soldiers, they do get some new attacks because you start off fighting a silver one and then a red one and finally a gold one. It's one of those where you have enough background knowledge where you don't have to go off and learn all the patterns again. Yeah, at least you already know 
all the attacks they had last time and can just dodge those and you know you only have to worry about the new stuff yeah and you can brute force it if you're good enough which is nice yeah like you can just take hits from the new new attacks and then the rest of stuff you can dodge which is okay and then the big one Ravenbeak the final boss this one was hard right like this is the one that it took me an hour to get through the first time although you could say an hour's not that bad even honestly and yeah I mean there's three phases and it's quite unforgiving you know because if you die and you restart you restart on phase one and before you know what you're doing, even getting through phase one can be quite tough. This was one of those where I thought I couldn't do it. So it was beyond my abilities. And there are things, there are techniques you showed me, which I needed help if I'm honest. I don't think you could you could have discovered on your own. Well, I mean, clearly you can because someone discovered. Okay, them. fine. But did you? I mean, how how was that? You know, that that first run where you did beat the boss, did you do anything clever? Or was it no, just purely the, the first run the first run where I beat the boss, I just literally learned to dodge everything. And I still you know, I still found it hard because to me, I mean maybe I'm just wrong and I'm looking at the wrong thing, but there were two attacks that to me looked very similar, at least in that first playthrough. So he's got an attack where he like lunges forward and does three claw swipes. And to me, that attack looked quite a lot like the one where he charges forward and does one big claw swipe. Because the big claw swipe can be melee countered, but the three little ones can't. And sometimes when I saw him winding up, I thought he was going to do the big claw swipe, but he just did the three little ones, and I just took three hits to the face. So, you know, there was stuff like that. And I also didn't comprehend that he wasn't taking damage once his shield went golden. You know, I mean, I could tell something was off. I was like shooting him. I was like, is this actually doing damage? Because he doesn't seem to be flashing anymore. But I, I almost thought like the you know, the indication that he was taking damage was too subtle to the point where I wasn't sure if I should just stop shooting him now or if I still had to keep shooting him to give me an opportunity to parry him, you know. Like, that first phase was difficult and kind of confusing and frustrating, the first playthrough. Unfair. 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 But he's a really cool boss. Like, you know, I, I actually really like the fact that he's... You know, he's like the first, I guess he is technically the first living Chozo you see, because he's actually in the intro sequence too. And he's wearing power armor that's like yours. And his attacks are like yours. You know, he can flash shift. He can shine spark. You know, he's he's got attacks similar to yours. It's like, wow, he's also got Chozo power armor. And that's why our attacks are kind of the same. It's like a real, like, match between equals kind of thing except that he's got you know some op as heck shield though i think the shield ability is actually one of the aeon abilities from samus returns from what i understand though i haven't played samus returns yeah i don't know i just i thought it was a really cool fight once you learned the fight and it you know it felt really rewarding once you had finally learned that fight yes once you've learned it and you know and like the second playthrough I did, I just got through the fight first time, like it was no big deal, because I just knew what to do. And I even managed to pull off a bunch of the speedrun strats, you know, like I managed to skip his invincibility phase completely. 
just by you know doing damage at the right cadence. Shall we talk about the Emmys? Yeah, I mean, are the Emmys bosses? Kind of. Kind of. Were they more like puzzle elements? They're, yeah, I mean, the the Emmy sections for me, I found them very frustrating because they were very kind of trial and errory, I guess. Like, you go into the Emmy zone, you're being hunted. You don't know where you need to go. You're kind of trying to like sight read it on the fly. Like, where can I go to evade this Emmy? And the Phantom Cloak, again, I guess I was doing it wrong. Like, I was trying to activate the cloak to stealth through. But there's really not very effective at all because you just move so slowly and you run out of power and then you just end up having to decloak right in front of the Emmy and die. Like the Phantom Cloak is kind of in the end useful as a panic button where if the Emmy's about to catch you, you manage to break line of sight, you can turn on the cloak and then try and like roll away or something. Because, you know, watching speedruns of the game or then just following the speedrun route myself made me realize like the Emmy sections can be really trivial because if you know where you're going, you're literally just like boing, boing, boing and like bounce straight to the, the correct exit and then it's no big deal. But, you know, figuring out where to go is really frustrating. But you're exploring the area. This is okay. You're just exploring the area and you just die and then you, you look at the, you know. And then you just know, path. okay, don't go that way. Yeah, I, fe- I felt like the set of options were limited. So it seemed quite, doable yeah i mean they're okay it's just change of pace being hunted and then once you've got the i don't know what cannon is omega cannon omega cannon yeah that's satisfying yeah i mean there's a surprising amount of tension you feel because even though you've got this like op as heck weapon you have to shoot them for a long time to melt the faceplate and they're like creeping towards you and you've got to like aim at them and it's actually surprisingly hard to keep it on target so you just need to find a you know a long you have to find a long enough platform so that he, you can melt his face for long enough the purple emmy i thought was quite interesting because the purple emmy you don't get released back into the emmy zone like all the others you have to like fight it in this little arena i don't know if you really noticed you're like in a specialized arena where it's like a loop and oh yes there's like different ways to approach it because you can try and like clear out the whole loop so you can keep retreating and shooting and retreating and shooting or speedrun strats you can try and literally just do it in that first section but if you if you miss even a handful of shots then it just catches up to you and spikes you in the face how did you feel about the the desperate dodge mechanic or parry oh yeah I mean, I could not do it reliably, which is the point. Yeah. I think most other things in this game, the parry timing is always the same, but the Emmys deliberately have like randomized parry animations. So, you know, the moment where they do the thing that you can parry, the delay is, you know, there's a whole range of values it can take. And so you have just, you just have to have really good reactions to parry it. You can't just rely on the timing and be like, okay, I know it's going to be this long and now I push the button. How, how do you feel about that as a mechanic? I mean, it's another one of those things where it's like, I understand why they did it. Because the whole point of the Emmy section is that you're supposed to avoid it. Like if you could master parrying the Emmy and just always parry it, then 
there'd be nothing to fear, right? But I do think it also... You know, random mechanics are kind of annoying in games sometimes. Like in a roguelike game, obviously, the randomness gives it a lot of the playability and the longevity. But in a Souls-like kind of game, which this game plays like quite a lot of the time, randomness is annoying because it you know detracts from mastery. And you can master a lot of things in this game, but to melee counter an Emmy, you just need to have superhuman reflexes which is hard as a late 30-something. I, I know that some of the really fast speedrunners do always go for a parry on the Emmy at the start of the game because it is actually faster than just dodging it. Because in the Emmy at the start of the game, I think it chases you and you crawl through a corridor and you have to just wait for it to watch you so the doors reopen. But if you if you manage to get the counter, then you can just escape the area while it's stunned and you can save like four or five seconds from doing that so if you're on world record pace it's worth going for you know and so i think some of the speedrunners will actually go for that at the start of the run and if they miss it they just reset uh, okay i guess the final thing related to the emmys the central units that's another one where i just thought it was cool for the lore implications because it's kind of like mother brain in you know in metroid and super metroid mother brain is the final boss and Mother Brain is evidently a Chozo supercomputer, like biological supercomputer. And so the Emmys are being controlled by the central units, which are like Mother Brain. And, you know, there's there's callbacks to Mother Brain. There's like the Rinkers, which are like the donut things and the gun turrets. So I just thought that was cool. talked about speedruns you did a run like a crazy person yeah sequence breaking so for this ep you said you were going to finish the game and i said i'm going to play it again but try and do the speedrun route and i did so i did a run using the no major glitches speedrun route and i had a final in-game time of two hours 46 minutes which is over an hour slower, <laughs> maybe even an hour and a half slower than world record pace. But, you know, I'm still pretty proud of that. It's quite good for a first attempt. Although it's funny, like my, you know, my in-game time, well, my in-game time was already an hour slower and my real time was way, way, way slower than that. Like my real time, you know, my elapsed time for doing this run must have been longer than my original playthrough. Oh, really? I, I think I, I spent probably four and a bit hours learning the early space jump skip you know like we talked about things that are hard like this one thing i had to do was so hard 
And it, it really... <laughs> Again, if there weren't a whole bunch of videos on the internet showing people doing it, I would actually think it was impossible. Like, I would be like, this is unreasonable. How can this be done? What is he? You know, if someone had just told me, oh, yeah, theoretically, you go up here and get the space jump, but there was no video footage of anyone doing it, I would think, like, yeah, theoretically, but it can't actually be done. But but it totally can be done. It just takes hours to learn it. Am I missing something? What, what are you getting early? So, the space jump, you're supposed to... You know, I don't remember exactly the mechanics of it. You're supposed to, like, come in from, like, the top. But you need certain abilities to do that. Like, you probably need, like, the plasma beam or something to break a cuff. I don't, I don't actually even remember. But it's also possible to come in from the bottom, like, underneath the space jump. There's, like, three bombable blocks that are vertically above a pit. And if you have really precise movement which is the thing that took me four hours to learn it is possible to slide off the ledge and do a jump in midair you know coyote time they call it you know you can do the jump even though you're not on a ledge anymore you've got a few like milliseconds of grace morph into a ball put down a bomb and then get back to the original ledge and you need to do that three times with very slightly different timing for each jump. And, you know, on the third jump in particular, you need to do a wall jump to give you a little bit of extra height. And if you do that, you can destroy the three blocks. And then you finally have to do another slide and wall jump to get up there just before the first block respawns. And then you can be standing on the first block and you've managed to get to the space jump like through the exit, effectively. That sounds terrible. Four hours. It is terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. Yeah, I mean, I really started to question whether I was physically capable of doing it. And, you know, you think like, oh, I just need to break it down. You know, it's like, it's like the, ra- that's the only thing. It actually really made me think of the Ravenbeak boss fight. Because, you know, there's, there's basically three phases to the trick. There's the three different blocks you have to bomb and you know just like the Ravenbeak fight where you have to learn phase one to be able to reliably get to phase two so you can practice phase two you know i had to learn to do the first bomb so that i could reliably get an opportunity to try and place the second bomb and you know the tutorials on the internet there are slightly different techniques to doing it and then what's funny is like the way i do it is slightly different to all the tutorials I've seen. You know, some people do a thing where they hang on the ledge. Some people do a thing where they slide off. And I do some weird hybrid where I hang off the ledge and then flash shift and then slide and jump and then flash shift. You know, like the way I do it is different again. So you just need to find something that works for you that you can reliably execute. The flash shifts approach seems more reliable. Flash shifting in general just seems more reliable. Yeah, I mean, so... That was really hard. And then there was, <laughs> the, the sad thing is like, after I got through that, I was like, okay, fine. At least it's done. And then very soon after, there's another insanely difficult skip where to get the screw attack early, you kind of need to do a glitch because before you get the gravity suit, you're not supposed to be able to gain any extra height underwater. So even though you've got the space jump, you can't 
you know, you can jump infinitely underwater, but it won't give you any extra height than your original jump. But due to some weird quirk in the way the game calculates your height, if you do a space jump near the corner of a block, even underwater, it can give you some extra height. And it's another weird one where I just had to watch videos of people doing it and hear them explain how they do it. But they weren't like, and you just need to do this. They were just like, this is how I do it. But I don't really quite comprehend what's happening either. I just know that it's possible. And so, you know, you watch them do it and then you try and do it and it doesn't work. You try and do it and it doesn't work. And then eventually you do it and it works. And then you just do that a bunch of times until you just know how to do it. And then you restart from checkpoint and then you just do it first time. But, you know... This is what makes you OP as heck, because you manage to skip a huge section of the game, get the space jump early, get the screw attack early, and then just space jump to victory and screw attack everything in the face. And then, you know, that's how you cut out like four hours of game time. So you're skipping um, energy tanks and missile upgrades along the way. Yeah, you're skipping all sorts of stuff because you're only collecting things that are basically in your way. It was interesting as you're rushing for the end. Does that make the boss battle harder at the end? If you're limited in terms of... We don't, we don't really need that many missiles, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I collected a few extra ones because there's times when there's like a missile plus tank and it's, it's just off the critical path. It's just off the way you're going anyway. And speedrunners who are going for a world record pace obviously just run straight past it. And for me, it was like, it's going to take 10 seconds to just go and grab it and come back. So I would just grab it. So I think I had like 10 or 20 missiles more. And that obviously made it a bit easier. But equally, you just don't get hit, right? That's the thing. Like if you're trying to do the speed run, you need to just be good enough that you just don't get hit. And so it kind of doesn't matter how much health you have because you're never going to get hit anyway. So yeah, the speed run really opened my eyes to a lot of things about this game you know like the routing the way the world is connected and like the precision of the controls is really interesting and you know after i finished the game for the first time like when we you know just before we recorded last time i started watching some other people do speed runs of the game so i was watching this guy called like hard pelican and then there's another one called carter freak i think he's the current world record holder and yeah, it's Carter Freak in particular is really funny because he's he's a VTuber streamer. So when you're watching him play, it's like this small dog. It's a small dog with a baseball cap. It's really funny. So you're seeing this like cute little dog just pull off these crazy tricks. And that's like, it definitely lulled me into a false sense of security as to how easy it would be. I was like, oh yeah, this looks quite straightforward. I'm just going to do it. So hard. <laughs> so hard. Yeah, I mean, like, major respect to them. Like, when you when you watch them, they obviously just do every trick first time. I mean, I guess it's because on YouTube, they're only going to upload, obviously, their successful runs. And in all of those runs, they're going to do everything first time because they're on top pace. But those tricks are so hard to do. So anyway, the speed run is fascinating because it really shows that the world is connected in ways that were not obvious at all. You know, my my initial thoughts when I finished the game the first time were that the game was kind of linear. You know, 
I was actually thinking like there's no equivalent of the statues in Metroid and Super Metroid. Because in those games, there are statues of the bosses and beating all the bosses is what opens the path to the final area. But there's nothing to really railroad you into beating the bosses in a particular order. You know, you just need to make sure you've beaten the bosses one way or another, and then the statues will blow up and you can get to the final place. But there's no equivalent of that in this. And I was like, oh, it's linear. You have to destroy the Emmys in this order. So, you know, the game's railroading you. You've got to follow this path. But it's not. I think it's just because they do such a great job of telegraphing the intended route that it's quite easy to just follow that and not be aware of the other opportunities that are presented to you. You know, because the intended route gives you the feeling of exploration but it's essentially like leading you by the nose. You know, there's like a breadcrumb trail that you're just following. And you feel like it's like false exploration because every now and then there's like a hidden wall and they block off all the paths behind you to make sure you go through that hidden wall. But what you don't realize is that all the way through the game, other than those areas where they've like really blocked it off because they want to give people who don't explore the feeling of exploration anyway, there are lots and lots and lots of hidden walls that will totally take you off that intended route. And then you're on your own. Like, then you really can go anywhere your skills will take you, provided your skills are insane, <laughs> like to do the, you know, early space jump. I think the first major sequence break route, or at least the first one I'm aware of, is on the way to fight Kraid, there is a flaw that you can destroy and it is not telegraphed at all you know usually for the other things there's an enemy or the floor has a slightly different texture or the room is flashing white because there's a power-up hidden in a block in that room but this one has none of those it's literally just blackness and you would think there's nothing there but if you shoot the floor it reveals a whole other room and then if you blow up one of those exploding blobs, there's a door and it leads to a whole other area. So you can get from Dairon to Artaria through this like completely secret room that is really hard to get through because you basically have to do some of these sliding coyote time jumps to get through. Like even I think that was like the first major trick in the speedrun. And even that took me, you know, like 30 minutes to be able to reliably do. And little did I know it's just going to get harder from there. It's interesting what you're saying now versus what we said in episode one or part one. Because I really, after you said, yes, there's always a telegraphed routing, look for it and you'll know where to go next. That helped me a lot in the second half of my run. But in the first part, I, would, I was shooting walls randomly and I would end up in the wrong place. You're lucky you didn't find this one then. Because... <laughs> Because starting to follow this path leads you into a world of pain. Because <laughs> you can get the grapple beam early, and then, like, the speedrun doesn't do this, but from that you can then get the morph ball bombs early, and then all sorts of other things too. Having said that, I do think it's interesting that there are certain things they don't allow. 
What does that mean? They they don't allow who's they? They, they being the devs, obviously. You know, okay. like the dev team who made this game. There are power bomb pickups that give you an extra power bomb, right? And you can just see them in the game world. I think you can even see one really, really early on. It's it's in one of the early Emmy sections, though obviously you can't get to it until later. But some of them, it is actually possible to reach earlier than intended if you've got, you know, really good movement skills. And if you pick it up, it just says, you know, an unknown resource has been acquired. It doesn't give you power bombs. Whereas in Super Metroid, you know, there's an expected power bomb that you're going to get first. But if you pick up any power bomb, it gives you power bombs. So it's interesting that there are certain things that are gated like that. You know, there's no way to get power bombs early other than from getting them from the last Emmy. And I guess that means they have some semblance of control, you know. It's not possible to completely break the game by just getting power bombs and going straight to Ravenbeak. Because I think power bombs are the thing that is essentially gating you on that final thing before the lift. Though, I mean, I don't know. Could you make some argument that this is a callback? I think getting a power up that's incompatible with your current suit is a thing that happens in Zero Mission. And the thing you blow up with power bombs on the way to Ravenbeak looks kind of like the Zebitites from the early game. So, like, I was kind of wondering if it was a bit of a callback to. Props to the devs, though, because they did still allow all these sequence breaks. Like, they knew there would be sequence breaks they didn't know about. Because even though, as far as they knew, there was no way to get, you know, to certain places without having certain suits. In the pre-rendered cutscenes they have, like the loading screens, they do actually have versions of them with all the different suits. So particularly, I guess, for the one where you're going to Itarash at the very end, there's a version of that where you're wearing no suit. So even though they didn't think it was possible, they made a version of that just in case. And then, you know, obviously people found a way to do it. Although on the flip side, it's interesting because this is one of the very few sequence breaks that got patched. And so it can't be done in the current version of the game. You know, so there's stuff like intended sequence breaks that they knew about, unintended sequence breaks, which they didn't know about, but they left in or have been left in, like they haven't been patched. And then finally stuff that I guess is banned, like they either knew about it and they stopped you doing it or they've patched it out now. What does banned mean? I I just mean like forbidden, you know, like it's something that you'd logically expect to be possible, but it turns out to not be possible. Or it was possible, but they decided that was too broken and they've patched it out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, concrete examples, right? So, for band breaks, the most extreme is the one they patched out. So, at one point, it was possible to become completely invincible in the game. So, if you rolled in morphable form into an Emmy door and unmorphed at just the right moment, you would become invincible. Like, your hitbox would be deleted and literally nothing could damage you at that point and then using that invincibility you could do a melee counter at an emmy at exactly the right time it wouldn't do anything to the emmy but it would just 
mess with your animations in a certain way that you would end up facing into the camera. So obviously, you know, usually the game's on a 2D plane. You're moving left and right. But it's possible doing this weird Emmy parry to look directly at the camera. And then you could charge a speed booster while standing still effectively because you're running at the camera. And you can then use that to get a shine spark charge to get through a load of water. And that's how you could get through this thing that usually requires the gravity suit. So that was the way they they managed to beat the game without getting any of the suit upgrades. But then obviously the devs thought a way to become invincible was just too broken. Or there was, you know, the way to do it was too simple. So there was a risk that other people would just accidentally do it and it would ruin the game. And so that was one of the few things that's been patched out. Or other less buggy things, you know. You know, there are the doors where you're supposed to have the flash shift to get through them. And the door looks like it's a sensor, right? Like it's a pressure pad. So, you know, you stepping on it is what triggers it to shut the door. Yep. But if that's the case, then you should be able to just like keep yourself in the air above the pressure pad and the door should eventually unlock, you'd think, right? But if you keep wall jumping off the door continuously, you're in the air, so you're not on the pressure pad. The door should unlock, but it never does. So that's an example of something that is effectively banned, you know. Or if you're really precise, you know the storm missile blocks, you're supposed to like highlight these five targets and shoot storm missiles at them, right? But if you're really precise, you can shoot regular missiles at the five targets really fast and get them all to trigger at the same time. But it doesn't break the block. It's just like, yeah, but you didn't do it with storm missiles, so it's not allowed. That's another example of something that's effectively banned by the devs. And then you've got stuff that's unintended, but works, I guess. So pseudo wave, there's certain weird ways you can mess with the animations to shoot through walls. So it's called pseudo wave because it basically gives you the abilities of the wave beam, but at any time. And so that can be used to like skip major chunks of the game because you can shoot stuff like from behind, basically. So that's how you skip Drogaiga. You know, you're supposed to have to go through, fight the boss, and then blow up this wall. But you can instead use pseudo-wave to blow up the blob from the wrong side and then just walk right past the boss. There's another one called, like, water bomb jump, where doing a bomb jump underwater, again, it's supposed to give you any extra height. But if you do this certain sequence of actions, it will give you extra height, and you can get out of the water in certain places where you're not supposed to be able to. And then intended sequence breaks. So this is stuff the devs did know about and maybe put in deliberately so there's obviously stuff like getting the early grapple beam which is just like knowing that there's a hidden wall there and then you know is it intended that you can do that crazy sequence of actions to get to the space jump early i can't help but think it probably was intended because you know instead of putting bombable blocks there they could have put crumble blocks so the fact that they put bombable blocks there kind of implies to me that they did intend it to be possible, just insanely hard. And then, you know, referencing that flash shift thing earlier, I don't know if this is intended or if it's just an oversight, but you can't somersault off the door repeatedly. But if you've got perfect timing, you can keep yourself in the air with bomb jumps. Like you can put bombs such that you just bounce over and over and over again in the air. And if you do that above a flash shift sensor plate, the door will open again. So you can skip the flash shift. You, you can basically get through flash shift doors without the flash shift by doing some crazy sequence of bomb jumps. 
if you're insanely good. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Like yeah. yeah, like the first time I saw this done was by like that Carter freak, you know, small dog, and he actually he actually had a metronome, and he's going like boop 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 boop, so he knew like what sequence to place the bombs. It was like it was nuts. That that was the first thing where I saw it, and I was like, this game is this game is much more open than I realized. Did you want to talk about trams and teleporters? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I guess just one last thing then yep. is who comes up with these speedrun routes? Like seriously, the map is so complicated because there's a lot of different ways to get to different areas. And some of them also, you know, like the teleporters don't spatially make sense, if you see what I mean. Like your your brain is kind of obviously wired to understand spatial relationships, but things like teleporters mess with them, right? Like the shortest route from A to B, once a teleporter exists, is not necessarily like a straight line, right? It's maybe going through this teleporter instead so seriously impressive the people who came up with these routes like the routing must have taken a long time to figure out like you know they must have had really good knowledge of where everything was and all of the hidden blocks because some of the hidden blocks as well like you don't need them you wouldn't even encounter them in a normal playthrough you know the ones that aren't telegraphed at all some of them only exist to facilitate speedrunning, I think. So the people who worked out this optimal route, it's really amazing. It's interesting to hear that, that speedrunning is built into the game, if that's the right thing to say. Yeah. It, I mean, maybe not speedrunning, but certainly sequence breaking. Sequence breaking, yes. Yeah. And, and there, is, there is an expectation for a certain amount of speedrunning because... You know, when you finish the game, you get certain ending rewards. You know, you get certain pictures. I assume you've got at least one of them. Because I think you get one of them just for finishing the game. And then you get a second one for beating the game under eight hours. And then the final one is for beating it under four hours. So, you know, there is an expectation that the game is possible to finish under four hours. If you know what you're doing. So for sure, there's a certain level of speedrunning that was expected. Shall we summarize by comparing it to Super Metroid? Yeah, I, <laughs> I was just I was just looking for inspiration for how to structure this episode. And so we've got the three Bs, you know, we've got bosses, we've got breaks, sequence breaks, and now better or worse than Super Metroid. <laughs> I felt like it was a fitting capstone to the story arc, you know, like there's been this connected story through all of the numbered Metroid games. And yeah, this, this game paid off a lot of stuff that the story has been building to in one way or another.
you know, we finally get to see some living Chozo. Ravenbeak's got, you know, Chozo power armor and fights like you. There's kind of that symmetry to Super Metroid where in Super Metroid you're saved by a Metroid and in this you're saved by an ex-parasite from being a Metroid. And then, you know, maybe you finally dealt with all the X and then cleverly you're a Metroid now so they can still make Metroid games. Because if they if they wiped out all the Metroid, it's like, can we really call this game Metroid? You know, it's got Samus in it, but there's no Metroid. So is it appropriate to call it Metroid? Well, now it is because Samus is a Metroid. And there's certain things they do to keep it interesting. You know, like they subvert the formula. Like traditionally you always get the morph ball very early and then you get the bombs, you know? And in this game, you get the morph ball late and you get the bombs even later, you know? So they turn that traditional Metroid formula on its head. They're like, actually, you don't need to get the morph ball first. But then again, things I thought were kind of lame. You can't turn off any of your abilities after you get them. I mean, I kind of understand why, because who's going to do that? Like, that's not a normal thing to do. And it's the source of many, many bugs. Which is exactly why it's the source of so many weird speedrunning techniques in Super Metroid. Because it just introduces bugs that can be used to, like, glitch the system. But I still thought it was a bit of a shame. What does, what does that mean to turn off beams? Like, in Super Metroid, all of your suit power-ups that you acquire can be turned off. So... You can just turn off the wave beam if you like. You can just turn off the plasma beam if you like. But why? Why would you do that? So, so this is the thing that's interesting, right? Why would you do that? And yeah, most people would probably never do it. But in Super Metroid, there are secret techniques from turning off certain things. And there's also glitches. So like an example of a secret technique is... If you have just the charge beam and one other beam enabled, it will do a special kind of beam trick when you place a power bomb. So it will like shoot out an X shape of, you know, wave beam bolts, or it will make a weird rotating shield of ice beam bolts. You know, there there is like charge beam power bomb combos, and they only work if you have the charge beam and only one other beam enabled so there's like secret stuff like that in the game and they're used in the speed run of super metroid okay like there's there's a bit in the speed run where you charge up the wave beam you know like power bomb combo and you activate it where a boss is about to spawn so all of the bolts like hit the boss so you get like a load of free extra damage at the start to speed up the fight okay things like that and then I, I also thought it was interesting that you know, things like the Shine Spark in Super Metroid were a secret. You don't need the Shine Spark to get through Super Metroid because it was like a secret technique. It's like not in the instruction manual kind of thing. There's a bit in the game where an animal teaches you to Shine Spark. But, you know, it's a completely optional bit of the game. And originally I was thinking, like, there's nothing like that in Dread. But that was before I did the space jump <laughs> sequence break. And now I realize there's a lot of stuff you can do in Dread that is totally non-obvious. It's not quite as in your face as a shine spark, 
But, you know, after the Shine Spark existed, of course, they can't take that away again and make it a secret, right? But there's lots of very subtle things you can do in Dread that are totally non-obvious. So in the end, I'd, I'd call that a draw. <laughs> okay. How do, so how does this compare in terms of escalating power and the abilities? Yeah, I mean, I think it compares favorably. They, they've really done a good job of executing the Metroid formula. You know, it does feel like a Metroid game. It doesn't feel exactly the same as Super because, of course, it wouldn't. But it, it's still a Metroid game for sure. And then, you know, you've played Prime. Is this in line with, with Prime? I mean, you know more about the Prime games than me. I think it's interesting because it, not all the power-ups are equivalent. There are more beams. There are no beams here, are there? Are they, are they, are they are. Well, what would you mean that's there's not, no beams? That's not true. Well, but yeah, okay, this is kind of what I mean about the Super Metroid thing, right? Like You select the beams. Yeah, in Prime, the beams just work on their own. In this the beams are just like a thing you just keep getting more of, yeah. but you can't use them individually yeah. in this. So there's subtle differences. And I don't think, I don't think there is a screw attack. Why do I think? Cause you can't do that. I, I think in one of the later prime games, there might be a screw attack, yeah. but I'm, I'm not sure. And then how would the power-ups, is it always, is it between super and dread? Are all the power-ups the same? No. In fact, if anything, the power-ups in Dread are more like Metroid Fusion. Okay. Which is okay, but it's not my favourite Metroid game. Is that what make? So how do they compare? Yeah, I mean, it's quite streamlined in a way. You know, like, these, this is what I was saying, like, Super Metroid's fiddly. The control in Super Metroid are, you know, if they're fiddly in this, well, in this, they're just really precise though that also just comes off as being fiddly and difficult, you know, until you get good, which may take you four and a half hours. But Super Metroid is like, Super Metroid is kind of like annoying almost because there's one button to shoot and then you have to hit select to choose what you want to shoot. So by default, it's a beam. But if you hit select once, it shoots missiles. And if you hit select twice, it's super missiles. Oh, that sounds impossible. It is really fiddly. It's really fiddly. There's a lot of just like mashing select at weird times to switch between like beams and missiles and, you know. And like missiles and super missiles have different ammo counts. So you can like use up all your super missiles and then have to fall back to your missiles or decide to use your beam instead. Like it's fiddly, right? And like, and this game is streamlined and is that a bad thing? It's Okay. I mean, do you, do you get the benefit of just restarting outside the boss room if you fail the boss fight? Probably no. <laughs> exactly. Super Metroid, it's like, Super Metroid has no checkpoints. It's like, back to your last save for you. And the one last thing that I wanted to mention was picking up some of these, some of the items are hidden behind Shine Spark puzzles, I would say, or Speed Booster puzzles. Yeah. Yeah. That's always been a thing, I guess. That has always been a thing oh. yes since the since the shine spark was introduced and yeah it's it's hard in fact i don't think i've ever actually 100 percent collected all the items in super metroid i've mostly just watched super metroid speed runs till now right you you did get 100 percent this time around well i, I got 100 percent in this game yes because it's true like in the past i've never bothered 
doing all the Shine Spark puzzles either. But in this, I had to figure them out. And I did them, you know, I didn't look up a guide. That's why they took so long in that first 100% playthrough as well last time. They're fiddly and hard, like figuring out what to do. Yeah. Awkward. We can come back to all this content at the end. Okay. I'm just going to name drop a few story elements. I did like some of the callbacks. You know, there's like, there's a bit before Craig where there's like a giant kind of dragon head kind of statue. Like that's, that's a callback to the earlier games. You know, that's, that's how the bosses were telegraphed before. There's a bit where there's a silhouette of maybe Dragon in a tube, but then it's frozen over later on, so you don't see it. So it's just it's just there if you're paying attention. There's a bit I mentioned about the central units and Mother Brain. I think they did a good job with the X. Like the X as a villain are kind of ridiculous because they're just so broken. I mean, it's another thing I thought was kind of dumb about the plot of Fusion, but like they exist now, they're part of the law, and they use them very well in this. Yep. I thought the X being released into the planet like halfway through the game, and then that changing all of the enemies to X versions of the enemies that can be hybrids of multiple, you know, multiple enemies with new abilities, that was really very clever. That was a very good way to do that. And then suddenly, you know, the X turning into X parasites that you absorb instead of the regular pickups. Again, it just made the game feel different. It made the it feel like the game world was advancing. So well done on that as well. Oh, and did you did you feel like a knife in the heart when you realized that Adam was actually Ravenbeak all along? Yeah. Well, not a knife, but something of It's just like the that. backstab. It's just like yeah. <gasps> It's quite tidy, quite neat. Yeah, because like after you realise it, it's like, oh, duh, it's so obvious. You know, there's a bit where you, you talk to Adam in inverted commas and Adam's like, oh, you can't fight Ravenbeak even at your full power. He's way too swole. You know, <laughs> you definitely can't take him on. And in hindsight, it's just like, oh, of course, it's Ravenbeak saying that. So he would say that. You know, and I guess the clue is that Adam always refers to you as Lady, not Samus. And every time you talk to Adam in the game, he, he calls you Samus. So it's like, oh, I should have realized that, but I didn't. And, and yeah, like doing that speed run and learning some of those skips, I totally appreciate the game on a, on a different level now. You know, before, I think I said last time, you know, like the controls just felt annoying with the aiming and like you're running without the aim lock engage and stuff. Like I... I almost sympathized with David Jaffe, like almost, but not really, you know, for a bit. But like now I realize like, no, no, no. when when you like spaghetti or potato it and just it just does something other than what you intended. That's your fault. That's not the game. The game does exactly what you tell it to do. You know, the game does exactly what you tell it to do. And sometimes that means you totally miss what you're shooting at. But that's because you told it to shoot where you were pointing. You know, it doesn't shoot where it thinks you wanted to shoot. It shoots where you told it to. But that also means that things like the early space jump and stuff are possible. You know, the game allows an extreme amount of finesse. But you need to tell it to do that. We never said, how long was your playthrough? What were your final stats? Ooh, 11 hours 51. And... Were you satisfied with the length of the game? Oh, yeah, I was. 
<laughs> you were like, I'm glad this is over. I'm glad this is over. Okay. Did you feel it was appropriate value for money? I know some people were like complaining earlier, like this game's so short and it's $60. I mean, what other price points could you give it? What other... $40? I, don't know. I mean, do you think if this wasn't a Nintendo... Do you think if this wasn't like a mainline Metroid game by Nintendo, you could charge $60 for it? Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, in, in an alternate universe where this game exists, but it's not a Metroid game, it's made by some indie dev. I think so. It's risky because it is on the upper, you know, it's of the range. It's quite high, you know, in the price range. But it's fundamentally a good game. I mean, how much of this being a good game is tied to it being Metroid? Yeah, that's the question. I, I, I having now played it, you know, quite a lot. I think it is a reasonable price. You know, it's, there's certainly a lot of game there. You know, you're, you're kind of intended to play it through more than once, in a sense, and, and master the game, you know, if you, if you really want everything. If you want to get those, like, you know, those extra pictures you get for finishing the game under four hours on normal and hard mode, you know, there's actually quite a lot of game there because you really have to become really quite good at the game in order to do that. But but superficially, you know, superficially, it's easy to also see why people would think like, oh, there's a lot to charge for the game. Because if you just play it through once, then arguably it is quite short. I mean, you talk about adding... But it's, it's still a good experience. You could just change the counter and just have a, a counter which counts all the fails and then it looks like good value. Yeah, that, that's definitely also true. I think it's because the in-game time doesn't show all your failures it superficially makes you think like I've only played this like eight hours, but actually, no, you played it a lot longer. <laughs> they just all got erased. You know, those timelines, those timelines were erased. You got a, you, you got a do over. You mentioned here, what would you add? What would you remove? You'd add multiplayer. You remove nothing. You'd add multiplayer. I'm joking, obviously I'm joking, but you know, what's really funny is YouTube has been suggesting me, you know there was that AM2R, another Metroid 2 remake? Yeah. Which is like the fan remake of Metroid 2 Return of Samus. And that actually has a multiplayer mode. I thought it was quite interesting. Where one of you plays as the SAX and is trying to kill four other players who are trying to kill the SAX. But the SAX starts with all of their abilities and the other players have to obviously collect their abilities. But it's 4v1, so... You could do a multiplayer, seriously. That might be quite interesting. I doubt they will, but yeah, I surprisingly actually kind of almost agree that would be cool. <laughs> okay, so anyway, to finish this off, I would put it up there with Super. I I, I didn't feel this way in part one, but having now done the speedrun and gaining a much deeper appreciation for the world design and the controls. Yeah, I think it's actually really, it's really up there. I think I can really appreciate everything. Whenever you mention Super Metroid, at least I can appreciate to some level what you're, what you're, what you really love. And that's just pain and failure. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, this thing, this, this game is unapologetic. It's like 
It's like Dark Souls. This game gives you opportunities for mastery and it doesn't hold your hand. It's not like, okay, we'll make it easy. It's like, this is the game. Just get good. And, and that allows you to do amazing stuff. But it's also quite unapproachable, I guess, if you're not of that frame of mind. So I think a lot of people have bounced off it. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I was watching a video about accessibility this morning from GMTK, and they were highlighting that there are quite a lot of like tweets or opinions from people coming in saying, you know, Metroid Dread is just too hard or it's, it's very unforgiving. You know, if you don't have really good mastery of the controls, you will just like face plant into a wall or miss all your shots and then you will die. And that's it. But maybe that's why I like it. Yeah. The, the team that made it really understood both the Metroid lore and the story and also what it means to be a Metroid game. Like, I, I actually really want to play Samus Returns now. I've been actually, I've been trying to find a copy of it in Hong Kong. I might just have to order one from Amazon or something. Okay. Are we done? Yeah, we're done. The next book club game is Tetris Effect. What made you pick this? They've got crazy high ratings this year. Yeah, I was surprised by this because I was like, it's, it's actually Tetris Effect's ratings were in the high 80s, but Tetris Effect Connected is 95 plus, right? Yeah, that's right. But Tetris Effect Connected is not a separate game. It's just the latest patch of Tetris Effect. So I was like, why does this get a separate entry on Metacritic? I don't know. It is the first time it's been released on the Switch, is that right? I think so, yes. It just so happens it's this patched version. Yeah. And then, by association, they're going to re-review the PC version. Because... Yeah, I, I find this intriguing, but... Because of the clicks. Well, it's got on your radar by a technicality, but it, it is now on your list, so... Let's have a go. It's, it's nice and short. Let's have a go. <laughs> is it short? The journey mode is short, at least. It'll be interesting to see... To have a chat about your Tetris mastery. Exactly. Since, as evidenced by <laughs> the Metroid Red playthrough, I've now realised I really like games where there's an opportunity for mastery. And because there's a BR version of Tetris in Tetris 99, becoming a true Tetris master is actually something that I think I would like to achieve. <laughs> so, excellent choice, Ting. I, I wholeheartedly approve. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. As Lost Levels Club. Anywhere else? Reddit slash r slash Lost Levels Club. So, Mike, what are you grateful for today? I am grateful that winter has come. Like, the weather in Hong Kong is great right now. It's amazing. Like, Hong Kong winter is like English summer. It's not humid. It's like 
mid twenties. The sun is out. It's really, it's really beautiful outside. I've been, I've been doing loads of hiking. So Michael says bye. Bye bye.